check this out, right, Conrad? Check this out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> C-3PO, innit? Yeah. That's damn good. I am thoroughly impressed. Mm-hmm. Thoroughly impressed. I do impersonations now. It's my new thing. Yeah, it's it's real good. It's a real good one. Yep. Do you want to hear my R2-D2? Oh, please. Yeah? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, innit? That's good. That's yeah. real good. <laughs> right, what's up? What's happened? Okay, so... On the last episode of the spin-off Doctors, <laughs> which was, um, no, not that long ago. Was it, was it not? You may recall we said we were going to do Sonic the Hedgehog. That's why I did my impression of C-3PO classic uh, uh, Sonic sidekick. And, and then as time went on, and, you know, and I, I'm writing the script for the spin-off Doctors for Sonic the Hedgehog, you might have noticed there was like this uh, kind of change that happened uh, in the world. People stopped going outside. They'd stop going outside. Well, they didn't stop going outside. Well, some people stopped going. We stopped going outside. We stopped going outside. And I got real angry about the Sonic the Hedgehog movie in light of that event for reasons that one day when we do the episode will probably become clear. But I just couldn't do it. And I'm still angry about it. And so, Jim... I don't even know why. I haven't watched it yet, because I'm like, if it's if it's boring, I don't want to watch it twice. But the decision was already done to not do it. So I don't, I don't know what this film has done, or even if it does anything, or if it's just something conceptually. That's, that's, I might have to watch... No. You know, it might be a fun game. It might be a fun game for you to watch it, yeah. and then try to figure out exactly figure what it is it, yeah. about it that has so set me off. Because hmm. I also don't want to like go too far into it because it, it will yeah. compose sort of the central thesis sure. of the episode <laughs> when it inevitably comes out. Because I was going to say, does it have something to do with the fact he's blue? Mm-mm-mm. I don't want to give any clues uh, away, but... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll have to play the fun guessing game. He is blue. Uh, well, that is true. It's a uh, fact. So instead, Jim, uh, you very helpfully suggested that we abandon it in the short term. For the short term. And... Do something a little different, something that everyone might be familiar with. Yeah, I figured if we were going to still deliver the the hot, hot movie boy action that people demand, um, I figured what we ought to do is do something that would already be recognisable to enough people to where if they didn't see it coming because we didn't say we were going to do it, there's still a good chance they'd have seen it. And if they haven't seen it, they probably would be the type of people who listen to this podcast without feeling the need to watch it anyway. Yeah. Because um, we do have listeners like that. So we should be fine. There's, there's enough. I mean, there's a heck of a, enough um, pop cultural osmosis here for anyone to get along with this one. Well, and I think that that's actually something that I really uh, observed in watching this film in that I don't really remember much of this movie. This motion picture, yeah? I thought I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought I remembered a lot of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. A New Hope. And I do know all of the story beats. It's all there. Yeah. You go to, you know, the sand and go in the big um, shape 
And then the robot meets the man, and then the man meets another man. And then they meet a man and, and the big hairy man, and then they go on a spaceship. Yeah. And from then on, there are more spaceships and, and men and, and women and, and all, all manner of um, life forms. I mean, mostly across men. The, yeah, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of men throughout. Wow. It's a galaxy far, far away, isn't it? It is indeed. But yeah, I, I guess I was just, in watching it, sort of surprised by how much of the film I just do not remember because it it's, uh, for lack of a better term, filler. I mean, it's not a memorable film. It's poorly shot. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely some some interesting shots in this that are not good. Oh, yeah, that wasn't a credible comment. Yeah. Uh, no, I just figured I'd say it. Um, it's fine. Yeah. Like, you can see why people sort of caught on to this film. Yeah. But then also, we're watching the remastered version that Lucas went in and mucked around with it in the 90s. Fiddled it about, you know, just stuck his stuck his swizzle stick in and gave it a good old sloshing. And add to that, like, I don't even particularly have much personal attachment to Star Wars at all. No, I like it well enough at times, but I'm not super into it. Yeah, it's fine. I, I I wasn't exposed to Star Wars in a significant way as a child. As a young child of around six or seven, I discovered Star Trek in syndication. And mm-hmm. because I was a small child, thought it was something that was like presently airing because I didn't understand syndication. And my father, I don't think, was particularly into Star Wars at all. Well, I mean, I know he wasn't because he didn't keep up with any of the shit. He liked science fiction, but that never caught with him so i was never infected with it like some kind of virus as so many of my peers were and when i finally did get around to watching the films at age 16 i I had kind of gotten into other stuff and i watched it and i was like yeah this is fine i i see why people like it but you know yeah i um i liked him growing up i I had a friend at school super into him uh the films um i mean that would have been around Shortly before the special editions came out, I remember them coming out brand new mm-hmm. and uh, all the weird CGI bullshit that, that got added in that just really distracted from the scene because now it was just too much visual movement. But I was always more into it. I wasn't super into the, the films and the sort of the main plot and everything, but I liked a lot of the little side characters and the aliens and stuff, all the weird shit. I was very into the, the Tales books. They had the Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina and the Bounty Hunters and Jabba's Palace mm-hmm. told stories of all the little um, characters. The Jabba's Palace one was real good because they did one of them. I always love that story convention where it's an anthology of stories, but it's all around the same event. So some of the stories cross over and stuff. You know, you'll see a character do something in one of the stories and then later on find out why. Um, so it was a really well done book. I think all of that's part of that sort of quasi maybe canon, maybe not thing that Disney does now. But they were they were real fun books. So I got to read all about all of the, you know, your IG-88 and your Max Rebo band and the the, the, the jizz players in the Mozarty Cantina. Oh, what was the game? Uh, the Modal Nodes. Frugal Dan and the Modal Nodes, I think. Something Dan and the Modal Nodes. They're the, the bum-headed... Uh, jizz flute players in the Mozarty Cantina. You notice I've said jizz flute twice and and not even mentioned yeah. that it sounds a bit like swizz because earlier I said swizzle stick. 
Yeah, I was I was going to comment. I was kind of surprised that you didn't, you know, like make that riff. Right? Cuz it was like right there. It's so easy. Yeah, well, I'm growing as a person. Oh, yeah. 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 Ponda Baba. I mean, you're just you're just making what could be baby noises to me. <laughs> At this yeah. point, my, 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 I'll tell you what, right? My top five Mos Eisley Cantina patrons is a Google Gaga. Ooh, ah, baba. my baba. Baby boom boom. Baby boom boom is the best Mos Eisley Cantina patron. Oh, you see it in the corner just going, ah, my baba. And then um, is handed a. a uh, a, a baba by fuck. What's the name of another Mosaicians? If I had if I had one to mind, I could have said it then, and it would have been a good joke for Star Wars fans to have been. Ethan Mont. No, that was Jabba's Palace. So uh, we should probably get cracking on with it. Oh yeah, like eggs. Yeah. 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 Because we got a lot to do here. I got to do stuff with my life. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna level with y'all. I. Didn't start really taking proper notes on this for the first half hour of the movie. (laughs) Uh, And that was because I I have this tendency, I'll watch the movie just to watch the movie before I start taking notes. And then partway through, I'll realize, oh, I should really be taking some notes on this because I have thoughts. And then I'll just start my process midway through and then go back and fill in later. And I guess I just forgot to go back and fill in later. So my script literally started at the point at which I took interest in the movie. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, right? I have legendarily famous recollective skills. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I reckon I can cover the first half hour for you. Well, I, I, okay, so here's what I've got. There's a, a long crawl of text. There's a galaxy at war. There's a, something about rebels being chased that I've forgotten. Yeah, I know all that, okay. right? Right. Right? The time, a uh, long time ago. The place, a galaxy in a place far away. Okay. It is space. Right. Letters are on the screen. Mm-hmm. I was expecting a spaceship, so I was fucking terrified. But they tell you about that um, legendary shot as you see the, um, the 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 big Imperial ship chasing the Rebel ship, and it follows as it goes along tracks. Hey, oh, and it's doing it in kind of much the same way as like the text scrolling with that same slow drag. You mean that wasn't the shot? <laughs> No, it is. That's the next shot. I thought that was it. I thought the the Imperial ship was, like, made out of letters, and I thought, that is a stupid idea for a ship. (laughs) How did this get popular? They made how many of these? Anyway, some other ships happened, and I don't know, I guess we follow these, these people now. So... And there's a little ship and there's like a big sort of like Toblerone uh, break off bit. And that chases the little ship. And then inside the little ship are people, right? Mm-hmm, with crash mm-hmm. helmets on. And they got guns. And then these other people come in. They're dressed in like white plastic, basically. Right. And they've got guns and they shoot each other, right? And then it is Darth Vader. Oh, oh, he's the, the big bad man with the breathing problem. Yeah. The. Big helmet. Yeah. Right? And a cape and like just some plastic shit and wires glued to his tits, you know? Mm-hmm. Puts his hands on his hips and is like, right, now this is good. I, what I want is for you to get someone or something. And then the, the stormtroopers, which, which it later turns out that that's what they are. Not that it's a twist or anything, but I did work it out before they even said it because I knew it from some toys. The stormtroopers say, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll go 
do whatever that is. The point is, is there is a gold robot and a, a silver and white robot. They are called R2-D2 and C-3PO. One of them just hates the other one. Just absolutely fucking despises it, but is always hanging around in some sort of horrible codependent relationship. Mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher is there, and I think, brilliant, stuff's picking up. Doesn't even say anything. Just just as a private conversation with the robot in the middle of a film. Rude. Anyway, long story short, right? The fellow with the massive helmet gets Carrie Fisher and says, right, you're in trouble. Yeah, basically. Yeah. The, the robots run away, cowards, right? Go on a big round desert. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know deserts could be round, but they land on that anyway. Whole round desert. Yeah. And then they're picked up by some, um, I mean, I can only assume it's some sort of, of Cthulhu cult. They're dressed exactly like I see them in video games. They've got big pointy cowls on, and they drive around in a sand crawler, just like the Lovecraft mythos. I think this is the planet that the tall man sends the crushed down dwarves to from Phantasm. Could be, could be. I think that's what's going on here. So, it could be... Lovecraft mythos or phantasm mythos. It's one of them. One of them. So choose your adventure at that point. Pick your poison. Anyway, right? The cultists slash um, phantasm um, fellas <laughs> take the robots onto their sound crawler, which, as we know, does canonically exist in both universes. That's one of the ties that makes people wonder whether or not it was ever intended for Lovecraft and Phantasm to cross over, um, whether um, H.P. Lovecraft had that conversation with um, Spielberg or not. So the Sandcrawler takes them away until they find the Jokerman. And the Jokerman is all, oh, fucking hate it here. I hate, I hate living on a big beach where there's not even water. What's the point? Oh, wait a minute. A beach without water is the ultimate Joker move. You gotta respect it. Game respect game, Tatooine. Game respect game. Tell your friends. And anyway, uh, the Jokerman sees some robots, dips them in a bath, and then um, presses a button on the robot and then sees Carrie Fisher on the TV and says, Right, gotta go kiss her. And uh, decides to go off to kiss her. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere along the way they pick up Alec Guinness. Uh, I think he had like a like a stick with a bag on it and was thumbing a ride. Well, the little bloopy bloopy but runs off. Mm, blippy bloop, yeah, Mr. Bucket. Yeah, Mr. Bucket, and and, and the Jokerman goes to uh, find him, um, and then gets ambushed by, you know, just just some people trying to live their lives. Honestly, really, yeah. Yeah, um, and this strange old dude shows up, and, and, and this is the Obi-Wan, and the other robot loses their arm, gets all dramatic about it. Yeah. And uh, then they go back to the old man's place. During that scene, by the way, mm. I actually can offer a little Ooh. thing here. It's some actual criticism. Is This is where they start doing like strange touch-ups to the, to the edit, like adding a weird whoopy noise over Obi-Wan when he scares off the raiders. Mm-hmm. And it's been pointed out in a few places, um, I think like on Red Letter Media and places where they added a rock in front of R2-D2, where R2-D2 is hiding from the, the Tusken Raiders, to explain, I guess, why R2-D2 wasn't visible. But it now no longer explains how R2-D2 got in or out. <laughs> So, you know, these mysteries, you know, just left for our edification. 
One door closes, another opens. They're solving one problem and creating another. Yeah. That's delightful. They go back to the old man's place, fix that robot, and mm-hmm. the old man tells Joker Man that uh, he fought in the Clone Wars, Joker Man's father. Mm. I liked when the Clone Wars was world building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and, and Joker Man's father was killed by Darth Vader. Oh, yeah. That's what turns him into the Jokerman. Right. It's Deucing by the Dark Side of the Force, mm-hmm. um, which is an energy field that permeates all living things. It's a big yeah. exposition drop in this scene. It's like, hey, here's everything sort of in- operating in the background that you're going to need to have in your head for the rest of this story to mean fuck all. Yeah. Just imagine when, when Alec Guinness said those lines. At no point did he realize exactly how much merchandise was coming out of his fucking mouth. Oh, God. Yeah. In fact, I think historically he, he saw nothing in this shit. He thought it was complete garbage. At least I think that's how the story goes. But none of them at the time realized that that script might as well have been printed on, like, $100 bills. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Just think, at one point, Alec Guinness thought to himself... What the fuck are the Clone Wars? What the fuck is this shit? <sighs> Darth Vader. Wait, George, darling. Darth fucking Vader. Are you shitting on my balls right now, George? <laughs> A green light is going to come out of this stick, you say. And it's going to be like a sword, but a laser, George. Are you high on some drugs, George Lucas? I've been in plays. I imagine that's a little bit like like how the, the real thing went down, you know? I, no, and, and frankly, it's only like looking back and seeing historically where this film kind of fits in to explain its success. Yeah. Could you be like, oh, all right, because I can't imagine coming to this production, looking at it and having an expectation that it's going to be, you know, more than a modest profit return. Well, yeah, yeah. It was just this troubled, limited production that, you know, at one point or another was was just going to be another like sci-fi fantasy thing. Kind of disposable in a way. But this is actually the point in the film where I started paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we are. We're all brought up to speed. We're all brought up to speed. Obi-Wan gets this message from the trash bot that they've got these secret plans delivered to the rebels, yada, yada, yada. Tries to convince Luke to go with him and learn the force. And Luke says, I can't get involved. I've got work to do. It's not that I like the Empire, but there's nothing I could do about it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Luke Skywalker, liberal icon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'll tell you what, though. I I bet he liked a few tweets that said, how about that emperor playing a bit too much golf? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Vicious. Vicious takedown. Fucking hell. Sort sort it out, Luke. But he does agree to take Ben somewhere. And cut to the Death Star, which we learn is not fully operational, and the Rebels are actually kind of dangerous. But Vader shows up with Grand Moff Tarkin. Uh, I I just love the name. It's good. He's a Grand Moff. And he's phenomenal. Peter Cushing's great. Really, truly, like, captivating performance for me in this film. It's... 
It's Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, yeah. he was the villain of this film. You know, everyone, yes. of course, remembers Vader, but, but Cushing was the, the baddie in this. Yeah. And very good. And then they made him a cartoon in Rogue One. Oh, I haven't seen it. They made him a cartoon in, Ro- in Rogue One. They did a full CGI human man mm. looking like Peter Cushing and put him with all of the humans. And it's creepy. Well, the Senate's been dissolved by the Emperor. And the Empire's working on getting the plans for the Death Star back, but they're pretty confident it won't matter because it's too powerful. Uh, but Vader, Vader's smart, warns against overconfidence, and then gets shit on for having a religion, which I do not appreciate. It was rude. It was rude. You know, like, it, it's fine. I mean, I'll say, you know, not to be fully defensive, but I will say this, right? If someone's trying to frighten me with their sorcerer's ways... I definitely call that bit out. The religion bit, yeah, leave it off. I would be pissed if 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 someone had some sorcerer's ways and were trying to frighten me with them. Use a plastic spider, you know, make me jump in the bathroom, you know. Ah, but sorcerer's ways? Mm-mm. <laughs> well, Vader just chokes the dude. He just uses spider. some sorcerer's ways and chokes yeah, him. So. Yeah, yeah, sort 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 sorts that conversation so, out. Yeah, but it was interesting considering, like, in from Empire Strikes Back on, he's unquestionably like second only to the Emperor and stuff. Yeah. Whereas here, he's more of like this. I don't know. Like, he comes off more like a, a, a an a freelance almost, like a you know exterior to the department kind of guy that's been called in or something. Yeah. You know, he's he's like the. Um the special agent in the room. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the establishment don't like him. And that's it's an interesting thing they could have played up more, the sort of... He's the fucking FBI agent showing up and involving himself in the oh, local concern. That's actually... Yeah. Oh, they could have played with that. Yeah. Oh, that could have been really interesting. But instead, their plans to go find this Rebel HQ and blow it up. Uh, cut back to Tatooine. Obi-Wan and Luke find the uh, Jawa transports all fucked up. And Obi-Wan points out that, hey, this is made to look like it was sand people, but it's actually Imperial troopers. And they're probably looking for the droids. And then Luke says that if if they trace them back, they'll go home. Mm-hmm. So he runs off home, finds the house in f- smoldering. All sad about it. Crispy Skellington's pretty harsh for a, a family film. It is real dark, isn't it? I mean, yeah, they're fucking these... Aunt and uncle just burning outside. You know, I have to wonder if Lucas, in making this, was trying to aim for, like, an audience of adults. I think he wanted it rated R. I think he wanted, basically, you know how many boobs they had in Total Recall? He wanted, like, six times as many mm. on, on one person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what Jabba the Hutt was originally going to be. Just a body of teats. Yeah, it was originally going to be called Booby McGruber, and <laughs> and he was just going to have like like billowing a bill a billowing fin of tits on the back. I'm really glad I have you here for all of these uh, production notes because I I got to be honest, I just could not bring myself to research further. Yeah, I know, right? But base, I I I've got intimate knowledge of of Star Wars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I picked it up a lot from my touring with. With Tory Spelling. <sighs> yeah, that'll do. I, sure. did, I thought I'd have something funny at the end of the sentence, but no. So Vader interrogates Leia regarding the location of the rebel base with a kind of threatening droid. Is it threatening? Threatening enough. The syringe is weird. I wouldn't fuck with it. I mean, I wouldn't fuck with it, but at the same time, it does sort of seem like the thing you could just, like, not use. 
Like, it doesn't seem necessary. It's the future. Well, no, it's the past. We don't know what was necessary back then. <laughs> uh, so we cut back to Luke, who decides that there's nothing left for about Tatooine and agrees to learn the ways of the Force from Obi-Wan. They go to Mos Eisley, and we have the famous scene where Obi-Wan Kenobi fingers some stormtroopers mm. uh, to get past them. Yeah. It's pretty good. They say, let's look at the droids. And he says, no. And then they go. Yep. In the cantina, bunch of aliens. Yep. With that famous music. The bartender makes the droids wait outside, uh, you know, for plot reasons. Uh, Luke gets a drink. Obi-Wan does some business, gets in a fight. Uh, Obi-Wan cuts some dude's arm off with a lightsaber. Ponda Bubba. Yeah. Oh, is that their name? Ponda Bubba. That's the one that gets the arm cut off. The other one was some sort of rogue doctor, I think. That's how he got his, his death sentence in 12 systems. Huh. Can't quite remember. I used to know all the names and backstories of all these things because I, I read the book. Amazing. But now I can't remember any of it. I know that the furry, uh, like, yeti one with spider eyes was some sort of thief. Ah. Was planning a heist that night. Well, the furry yeti one with the bandolier is Chewbacca. Uh, which, and this is when we get introduced to them. And then we meet Han Solo. The devil-looking one's a war criminal. <laughs> Han Solo brags about how fast his ship is. Obi-Wan then negotiates him out of 80% of his rate, just like any old white guy would. Leaves with Luke to get some cash from an ATM. Uh, Han gets stopped by a bounty hunter, because Han owes a bunch of money to a dude named Jabba. Um, in the version I watched, they shot at the same time. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Like, I I don't care enough about Star Wars to get super into it, but I care enough about good storytelling and character development to argue that Han shooting first was the character establishing moment. Yeah. And, and to remove that just seems foolish to me. Greedo's backstory was in them books. Fucking tragic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Planet basically overrun by uh, another member of the species. Navik the Red, I think. Had a big red mark on the face. Total uh, despot and whatnot. Ran away and um, just tried to find something to do and was all just sort of young and naive. And then Han Solo brutally killed him. Huh. It was sad. Greedo's a sad story. That's rough. But as we spotted with this film, we don't have to feel too sad that Greedo died. Because in a way, he's still here. <laughs> in a way, he's still in the film more than once. Yes. Because once Han gets to the hangar, he runs into Jabba, who threatens him, but agrees to let Han go for an additional 15% of what he's owed. Otherwise, dropping no dialogue we didn't get from Greedo already, who is in this scene, in the yeah. background. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be like it's other Rodians or whatever they were called. But they, they like, the, it's the same costume. Yeah. <laughs> the exact same one. Oh, it's lovely. And then Han calls Jabba a wonderful human being? Yeah, because that's... Cause yeah, Jabba, Jabba was a guy when they yeah. originally filmed this scene before they yeah. CGI'd Jabba in. So they just kept it. And I'm sure, again, just, oh, well, it's he's being ironic or, or actually stealth-insulting human beings. So that, you know... That makes sense. But we know why he said it. <laughs> so Luke and company return from selling the speeder to pay Han, but they've been followed, and some stormtroopers show up uh, as Han's finishing up preparations for takeoff so they rush taking off and there are imperial cruisers out in space and there's some 
space chasing happened. It's real scary for me. Yep. It was very scary for me to watch it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but the Millennium Falcon escapes. And we cut to the Death Star, orbiting around Alderaan, and Leia is brought to Grand Moff Tarkin as he threatens to destroy the planet if she won't tell him where the base is, and she says it's on Dantooine, but then Tarkin blows up Alderaan anyway. Yeah, this is the point of the film Yeah, where I thought, hang on. That was it, just hang on? Yeah, yeah, just, I really thought the Empire overstepped, so mm, we'll cross you know, I just wanted to register my, my um, you know, disapproval. Well, you know, I, I think when the inevitable media coverage comes out, the Emperor will likely distance themselves from the actions of Grand Moff Tarkin and, and say that, well, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin was acting on their own uh, volition. Yeah. And yeah. certainly don't represent the uh, ideas of... Of, of the emperor and um, or, or the position of, of their administration. And uh, while it is tragic uh, what happened to the people of Alderaan, uh, we shouldn't let it uh, fracture us as a as an empire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I was watching one galaxy news and they even question it happened. It could have, you know, it's just, it's all like a, um, what, what, what do they call that? A, um, a false, a false droid. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> No. Ah, false saber. <laughs> ah, I got nothing. All right. On the Millennium Falcon, Obi-Wan is indigestion, blames it on some bad force he had earlier. Uh, Luke practices some lightsaber skills. R2 plays a game with Chewbacca. Han expresses his doubts about the existence of the force, so Obi-Wan ups the stakes and blinds Luke. So he could be shot at by this droid. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Which I always thought was was something he improvised. But then I watched the prequels and found out that they definitely always have done that all the time. Oh, yeah. That's always how they train. Sure. No, it wasn't there to prove a point. It's just, you know, how they train them. He just hadn't done it already. He just hadn't, you know, bothered to put the, the blindfold on him yet. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that critical point in the training. My bad. At some point, with enough time, every single house in Bespin will have its own Wikipedia page. That's how fucking over-explained and callbacky and everything must be everything and mean everything and something. That's how bad it is. There's a Wikipedia page on beards that begins by explaining literally what a beard is. Oh, my God. The Empire learns that there was a rebel base on Dantooine, but it's already gone, so Leia must have lied to them about that. Oh, yeah, because after blowing up her entire planet, Grandma Tarkins, then she lied. Yeah. So indignant. She lied. Uh-huh. The Millennium Falcon arrives in the system now to find that Alderaan is gone, and there's a space station the size of a, a moon there instead. Uh, they get caught in the tractor beam and brought aboard the Death Star, boarded by stormtroopers, but manage to hide themselves in, I, I guess, the ventilation system of the ship? Sure. Cool. Sure, whatever. Or the maintenance track? Yeah. Uh, when a scanner's brought aboard, they subdue the stormtroopers and sneak into the station to disable the tractor beam so that they can escape. Finding out where to disable it, Obi-Wan goes alone. Now, hang on here. I... All right. Well, 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 hang on. We'll get to this. As they wait, R2 locates Leia and 
find figures that she's going to be killed. So Luke decides to rescue her and convinces Han to help by promising him some huge reward on the basis that she's a princess. A bit presumptuous. Yeah. You know, there is a, a rebellion going on. And, you know, sometimes the assets of, you know, wealthy established families get seized in these circumstances. Leap into a few conclusions here, but whatever. They shackle up Chewbacca and disguised in the stormtrooper armor head to the brig. And there's a lot of traveling scenes, so just dragging for time here as the two groups move through hallways and elevators. And once they get to the brig, they attempt to convince the guard that they're transferring the Wookiee to the brig and then stage an escape to cause confusion and kill the Empire troops. And they shoot a lot of electronics for no clear reason. Like, I'm not sure why they're shooting all of these little things on the walls. Well, I mean, any blow to the Empire. (laughs) I guess. They've got to replace all those LEDs. (laughs) Replace enough of them, and you've cost them an entire dollar. Luke goes to retrieve Leia from the cell she's in, and Han is on the radio trying to talk his way past command because he's a charming rogue. We cut to Vader reporting to Grand Moff Tarkin that he senses Obi-Wan Kenobi on the station, so that's one of these force things, Yeah, I guess. It has to face him alone. I'm not sure why. He had to put some guns. Right, yeah. You know, you, you can sense him, yeah. you can go track him down. Oh, I wait, mean, they're not civilized. That's how that works. Oh, right. Right. Let's let's not let a war get in the way of civility. What are you going to say next, Obi-Wan? Walk across the fucking aisle? Han, Luke, and Leia get pinned down in a hallway, and when Han can't come up with a solution, Leia shoots a grating off a garbage chute and orders everyone to jump down it, thereby demonstrating, as we all know, she's the only competent person in this entire situation. Why did I pin that on Obi-Wan? I'm not sure. <sighs> She is, though. She's better with a gun. She can shoot stormtroopers, right? Yeah. And she can shoot a bit off a wall. Nobody else seems to be able to hit these stormtroopers. Fuck no. Well, I could. <laughs> Ankle deep in liquid. Mm. They're accosted by a, a tentacle thing mm. that drags Luke under. Ooh. It's just getting better and better. And suddenly he pops back up and the things released him, probably because it sensed the walls were about to move in yeah. to compact the trash. This is on a brand new Death Star. Right. I just need to point out that this this filthy shit water. Right. And this old rusted metal that looks like it's been there for 500 years with a stinking mutant water creature inside it. It all must have been deliberately put there as part of a brand new construction project. Well, yeah, I think I think that's it. Well, one of the very first things that you have to do when you you set up a large scale space construction project is that you need to have facilities in place already for the workers who are going to continue to be living there and building it, right? Sure. But why is all of that... You'd expect there to be regular garbage. It's bits of other spaceships. (laughs) And some sort of octopus. Who shoved that down the trash compactor? Who's Who's up the top? Who's outside catering with a broom pushing a fucking octopus down there? You know what I bet this is? I bet this is like that old urban legend about, you know, people having baby alligators as pets and then flushing them down the toilet when they, you know, start to get a little too big and then living in the sewers. That's what happened with this octopus. Some construction worker had this, you know, creature. It was real cute when it was small, but then it started to become a problem and just decided to dump it in the trash. And now it's just living in there. Yeah. Of course, 
all of this fun conjecture could only be possible if we didn't now go on Wikipedia and find out what its name was, what its age was, where it came from, how long it had been there, because you know it's all written down somewhere. Oh, yeah. No, there are answers to all of these questions. Whether you want them or not. Luke calls out for C-3PO, uh, but he's not there because he's hidden from stormtroopers in a closet. And when found, he deceives them into thinking that the droids aren't with the terrorists on the station. But when the droids return to the Millennium Falcon, the people aren't there leading C-3PO to turn the comlink back on and get instructions to shut down the garbage masher and save the heroes. Dianoga were large cephalopods capable of growing up to 10 metres in length, though most specimens grew to approximately 5 or 6 metres. They had a single eye stalk protruding from their mollusk-like bodies and seven suckered tentacles surrounding a fanger de moor containing a sharp serrated probe. So, there you go. I know they came from planet Vodron, discovered by the huts. And, uh, yeah... They stow away on garbage ships. Oh, well, then there you go. In their microscopic larval forms. So it's like a a ship parasite. Yeah, basically. They go in where no one can see them, then they get big in the trash. So they managed to do all that while this was being built (laughs) and no one spotted it. Jesus Christ. Mm. Omi was a force-sensitive female Dianoga who lived inside Garbage Masher 3263827 aboard the Death Star! Oh my god! <laughs> this is under the canon section. The bit I read earlier was the legends section, so apparently this is the current story. Okay. Force-sensitive. We got the exact number of the Garbage Masher, folks! <laughs> and... Oh, Garbage garbage Masher 3263827 has its own Wikipedia page. Well, of course it does. <laughs> with, a, with its own history section. Oh, I love it. Oh, God, don't ever change, Star Wars Phantom. I don't want to ever know a single member of you, but don't ever change. Un- unbelievable. <laughs> wow, I love it. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm glad it exists. Yeah. Yeah, I'm joshing for the most part. It does low-key disgust me. Yeah, so, so for sure, for sure. But, you know, it's like, it makes me feel better about things like Homestuck existing. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. It's fair. I just hate that we now, because things are so overly, like, wicked and, and catalogued, anything that's mysterious is now called a plot hole. If it's not got lore, it's a plot hole now. Right. Uh, you can't just... Be a thing that's in there. At least I'm glad to now know the number of the garbage masher and that the octopus in it was Force-sensitive. Thank fuck. I am glad to know that it's Force-sensitive, actually. That does Mm. bring me a lot of joy. It it makes my heart weep. So uh, as they're getting into uh, some clean clothes... Uh, Solo is a sexist pig, and Leia declares she's taking command of this operation, which, uh... Yeah, good call. Elsewhere, Obi-Wan reaches the power conduit to the tractor beam and shuts that off so they'll be able to escape. And when the gang returns to the hangar, they find it's crawling with stormtroopers. Han charges at them to give Luke and Leia time to reach the ship, but they take a wrong turn and wind up at a gap and have to shoot a bunch of stormtroopers before getting a a grappling hook to swing across with. And there's some chasing. Vader confronts Obi-Wan and they have a lightsaber duel. Yeah, Obi-Wan at one point says, I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi and I hate your boner. It is a really kind of lame, stiff fight. It is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. One of them can't see. Yeah. 
<laughs> One of them can't sleep and they're, they're pretending they've got laser swords. Like, someone remade it on YouTube using, I guess, sort of deep fakey stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's overly showy and makes me cringe a bit with some of the callbacky things it does. But it's fun to look at. I like the way they made Darth Vader fight, actually. He's sort of just... He fights almost like J- Jason Voorhees with a machete in this um, thing they've done. Right. Where he's just hacking down with it, with one arm mostly, but, like, just this blunt power. It looks really good. I would have liked to have seen more, seen him more canonically fight in that way. It is one of the few aspects of the, you know, like, revisionism that's occurred as a result of the prequels that I find really helpful to the franchise is making this lightsaber combat more dynamic. And it does get better in later films. But, you know, when you realize that the first time we see two of these elegant weapons from a more civilized (laughs) age come into conflict, and it's just this, like, dud. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. It's pretty classic B-movie. Yeah. I can easily imagine a world where that's exactly how this film would be considered. Yes. Without it even changing. It's all about perspective at the end of the day. Yeah. And now, and, and you know, and, and this is again one of those in hindsight things, you know, because this has been successful, because it has had an opportunity to grow in these different directions as it has, we can look back at this and think that's kind of quaint and weird. Yeah. But it otherwise should be normal. What a strange franchise this is. Yeah. Yeah. The heroes are reunited and trying to figure out how to get into the ship when the stormtroopers on guard see the lightsaber duel happening. They'll stop and have a look because it's pretty pretty neat. <laughs> Don't normally get to see laser swords. The heroes board the ship, except for Luke, pauses to watch. Oh, wait. I, I, I had a point that I wanted to bring up, and it just occurred to me that, you know, the revisionism history of Star Wars and all of that. How the fuck did Luke get anywhere in that stormtrooper uniform, now that we know that they're all clothes. Um, I th- okay, I actually know this. <laughs> okay, I believe the suggestion is is that clones like over time ran like ran dry and they and they couldn't make more and began to draft. Okay, so a lot of the stormtroopers by the time we see the films are mostly drafted people. I think I think the Force Awakens mentions clones. I don't know, but I, I think the idea is that, you know... I certainly know that before the prequels, they were meant to just be people. Yeah. Because the storm... Tr- I forgot about this. The stormtrooper earlier in this film that says Luxer droids when they're looking for the droids in the desert. Uh-huh. You remember that one? Yeah. Pops up, Luxer droids. Right. His name <laughs> is Davin Felf. <laughs> Davin Felf was a stormtrooper who was exceptional to the point of being the very first person to work out that you could tie a cable around the legs of an 8080 walker and trip it up. Oh my God. Like what happens in the Empire Strikes Back. But that bloke, the general with the big helmet who was on the main 8080, like got pissed off and then, you know, started burying him and everything. Busted him down. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, long story short, he joins the rebellion. <laughs> That was in that book. <laughs> Look, sir, droids. That's what that line made happen. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Every element of Star Wars has lore. So the heroes aboard the ship, except for Luke, who also stops to watch the lightsaber duel. And when Obi-Wan observes Luke's presence, he allows Vader to kill him so that Luke can witness it and be further radicalized. It's abusive. It's really... 
something. After fighting with stormtroopers, the heroes board the, board the Millennium Falcon. They leave the hangar. Sad Luke is sad about the death of Obi-Wan, but there's an empire chasing them. So it's two the spinny chair guns, which actually look hella fun. Right, the turret cannons in the Millennium Falcon. I'd like to shoot those. Sure, I have a little spin around. That'd be fun. Space fighting happens. They get away. But we cut back to Vader and Tarkin who reveal it was a plan all along that there's a homing beacon on the Millennium Falcon. Perfect. They're going to take them right to the Rebel headquarters. Absolute crime of the century. They got it all sorted. Of course, we go to Leia who immediately recognizes that they got away too easily and knows that the Empire is tracking. Oh, okay. So I'm glad we resolved that plot thread and there's not going to be any tension or surprise associated with that. Fuck this film. Yeah. (laughs) Let's decide to hate Star Wars. Right now. Yeah, this is going to be our new thing. This is our new gimmick on this show, right? Is we hate Star Wars. We hate it so much. Oh. Oh, it's terrible. It's it's real bad. Davin Felth. Why do I remember all that? How come I can't remember important life decisions that I've got to make, but I can remember that Davin Felth joined the Rebellion? At three different times in my life, I have tried to learn Spanish, but I know some of this shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's dark. Look, sir, droids. Han wants no part of Leia's revolution because he's a mercenary. He's going to get paid. And Leia just looks down as hell on that. Just real, you know, sneering disdain. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't edit this film in future versions to where she sneers at him and he refuses at the same time. (laughs) As she's leaving, Luke shows up. And asks Han what he thinks of of Leia. Meanwhile, trying to hide the chub that's in his robes. Yeah, dirty little fucking ape. Leia drops off the Death Star plans for analysis, while the real Death Star is approaching the planet Yavin, uh, and one of the moons, which houses the rebel base. And with the plans examined, the pilots are briefed on a mission to assault the Death Star. It seems the Empire has no respect for individuality, and therefore does not find a lone fighter to be worthy of consideration. And so, in their hubris, they have allowed uh, this possibility for a stunt pilot to travel down a trench and drop a proton torpedo into a two-meter shaft, causing a chain reaction that's going to destroy the station. And the seasoned rebel pilots agree with the Empire. <laughs> but our boy Luke has a background in pest control so whatever (laughs) oh god i tell you what right this character in this film of ray is such a mary sue Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm such a mary sue yeah i don't know what mark hamill was thinking suited up in pilot's gear luke spends five minutes talking to everybody who matters and a few people who don't (laughs) finds han and chewbacca Loading up the vast riches that they were paid by the Rebellion for delivering the plans. Han doesn't want any of this Death Star assault nonsense. And he tries to get Luke to bugger off with him. But Luke is committed and very disappointed in Han also. And real, real sort of like passive aggressive about it as well. Just sort of take care of yourself. It's what you're good at. Um, First of all, yeah. Yeah, he is good at it. Yeah, that's how you got there. And said, well, he did his job. He did. What can he do about it right now? He's got work to do. Do you not remember that he is being chased by the fucking mob? He's got to drop this cash off and get Jabba off his back. And you expect him to just, like, drop everything and agree to lay his life down for a cause he clearly has no belief in. And Chewbacca's got a cram for a big exam the next morning otherwise he'll never make it to graduation luke then runs into leia whines about han to her before getting another chub from a kiss on the cheek 
And then he talks to his old pal Biggs to help establish that Biggs is a major figure in Luke's character development, much of the same way Ben Kenobi was. Biggs, Biggs, Biggs. And finally, after having talked to everybody important and Biggs, the scene has adequately padded the running time long enough for Luke to get into his X-Wing and take off, with the voice of Obi-Wan reminding him that the Force will be with him. As the Death Star approaches the Rebel base, the assault begins. Unable to use the station defenses to take out the small fighters, Vader orders that fighters be launched. In response, space fighting happens. And then Grand Moff Tarkin is warned that after analyzing the attack, there is a risk to the station. And, you know, I got to give some props to the analysts working at the Empire, mm-hmm. you know, who are seeing, like, just really two assault runs down this trench and have already figured out where the vulnerability is in the Death Star. And, like... This weasel is already coming to Grand Moff Tarkin being like, hey, you know, they might blow this shit up if you want to scoot. That's impressive as hell. Yeah. That's that's way beyond what seems possible based on the computers on this station. (laughs) (laughs) So you know that that's that's like human work at play. I just imagine that there's this war room somewhere in the Death Star that we never see, but that there is lore about. Oh, no doubt. I'll have to check the schematics. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm sure there and, and there all the analysts working there are names that have intricate backstories. But you know, they're all looking at printouts and comparing notes and running out of the room, and it's all like real active. Ah, oh, where's their movie? I'm sure it's coming. Yeah, I'm sure we're gonna get that. We'll get the lower decks team to do it. Yeah. Let's see here. Well, but Grand Moff Tarkin grants scoffs at the idea Ooh. of the Death Star being destroyed. Couple that more attack runs fail, leaving it to Luke and his narratively important buddies Wedge and Biggs. Wedge bails, Biggs gets wrecked by Vader, and Luke prepares to fire the torpedo into the exhaust shaft, using the force to aim instead of his targeting computer. Everyone's all like, oh no, Shit. Luke, you've turned off your targeting computer. You idiot. And as the Death Star charges up its weapon to destroy the rebel base, and Vader moves in to kill Luke, the Millennium Falcon appears and saves him, completing Han's character arc? It's a change of heart for him. Yeah, yeah. Allowing him to make the shot and destroy the base. Vader escapes. Did he go all spinny off and lose control? Goes all spinny off and then sort of regains control, I think, and then just speeds away. Yeah. Back at the rebel base, Luke is the big hero. And at a ceremony that I think is directly drawn from a Lenny Reifenstahl wet dream, Luke and Hana are given medals. And we see that R2-D2 got all cleaned up from having been shot. And everyone's all smiles the end. Dun, 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 dun. So... I've got a question. Yeah, Jim. How have we managed to compress one of the most influential and beloved nerddom films of all time into within an hour? And we spent two hours on House of the Dead. Well, there are a couple of reasons for this. One, everybody's already done the nitpicking for us. That's true. Everything I've said's been regurgitated. I think that there's uh, some some perspective stuff to to talk about with Star Wars that's interesting. But it is so... We're so culturally saturated with it. I feel to overtread it again is unnecessary. Oh, it was a good podcast. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It was a good podcast, and I like that it wasn't two hours. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And I have softened on Star Wars over the years because I used to really not like it. It used to frustrate me so much that this kind of mediocre thing occupied such a significant position within our cultural landscape. But it's fine, right? Yeah. It's fine. I see 
entertaining things in it. It's constructed in in such a way to be so watchable that you do forget that almost nothing fucking happens in that two hours. Yeah. A lot of filler time. And not a lot of dialogue filling in that filler time either. There's a lot of points of just wandering through the desert for a couple minutes at, at intervals. Yeah. So much of this film takes place on Tatooine. Again, it's it's what makes me think of, of you know, I've watched many, many B-movies. And they all have this same playing for time and, and mm-hmm. everything. Um, it's just this one captured imaginations and, and became a massive franchise. You know, I don't want to downplay the, the things the film did itself. No. If it was truly shit, it would not have taken off. There's some really interesting, inspired things in it. There are some amazingly good shots. And when you look at, like, especially in this remaster, where you can sort of see comparatively how they've cleaned up some shots to make them look a lot better, and you look back at older cuts of it, and you're like, oh, wow, they really, like, hacked this together. Yeah. Like, this is such a cobbled-together production. Oh, for sure. And it does look pretty good for what are such clear constraints at the time. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing it has going for it is is what went into the set and the amount of people they had. A lot of B-movies of a similar sort of style feel a lot smaller Mm -hmm. and restricted. But, you know, they they did phenomenal work on costumes and and stuff. And, you know, even the the fact that the, the Stormtroopers are plastic and Darth Vader is bits of wire and shit just cobbled together. It just looked striking enough that it managed to step out of the shadow of what could have looked cheap and shit. Well, and there is, I think, something also to be said for the aesthetic feel that Star Wars contributes to what we think of as space technology. Yeah, yeah. Because it is that long time ago galaxy far, far away. And to a certain extent, that's the conceit that has to be made to allow them to use what they have on hand to cobble together this stuff. But at the same time, there is something fascinating about the anachronism inherent in grungy technology when so much of futurism is sleek, clean lines and curves and and was at that time, continues to be so to this day. We even try to imagine things are going to be a certain sleek way and then when they are inevitably made are even sleeker and smoother than they had been envisioned by people 20 or 30 years earlier. Yeah. So it's a really neat way to look at visually how a universe set in space is put together. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that, you know, gets kind of, I don't want to say, well, I think you get to start to see the other, you get to see the other side of it. Once the prequels come along and the budgets are a lot bigger and the technology has changed and filmmaking techniques have changed and you get some of that cleaner, smoother aesthetic. But what's nice is that they don't completely abandon the other things. They just sort of relegate it to rebel shit, you know, or smuggler shit. Yeah. And I think that that is one aspect of Star Wars that they get right is that there will be this separation between the people who have all the resources and can make the things that look really good and then the people who have to put it together from what they have on hand. Um, That aesthetic remains, and I do appreciate that. Yeah, they're fine movies. Indeed. Yeah. So, uh, we didn't talk about what we should do next time. Yeah, yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, basically, 
my entire life right now is playing for time until the Monster Hunter Mila Jovovich military versus dinosaurs film comes out. Yeah, that's going to be... I don't know when that's releasing in the States. Yeah. It can't be too far off. But with the film being pulled in China, I don't know what's going on with it, um, if that's going to change or whatever. One thing we could do is we only have one Uva Bowl-directed film left to do. Oh, no. Yeah. And that is the last in the name of the King film. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, all right, we'll do that then. In the Name of the King 3, The Last Mission, starring Dominic Purcell. Right. Brilliant. Who? Uh, he's in the um, DC television universe as... Um, oh, okay. Uh, I don't know, the guy with fire. Can't remember the character's name. Good performance and writing in that. He wound up in Legends of Tomorrow with that and was really interesting there. All right. Well, we'll do that then. The last mission. Oh, boy. You're, I've seen it fairly recently, actually. You're, mm, you're going to like this one, Jim. Yeah? Yeah. Can't wait. Can't fucking wait. All right. Well, uh, do you want to let some people know where else they can do your things but see it oh yeah you can uh you can find me on twitter at conrad zimmerman you can support me and all the things i do at patreon.com slash fistchuck you watch me play video games on twitch twitch.tv slash that conrad zimmerman mondays wednesdays fridays starting at 2 p.m eastern and uh you can buy capitalist propaganda from me at pinfultruth.com audiobooks at conradreads.com and i think that's it all righty i guess we'll see you next time yeah Bye-bye. Bye.